Hello, 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 and welcome to Criminal Broads, a true crime podcast about wild women who somehow ended up on the wrong side of the law. I am your faithful correspondent, Tori Telfer, and I am here today to present you with two very famous people. Actually, no, I should say one very famous person and one very infamous person. My interview guest today needs no introduction. All right, so... My first question for you, well, mm-hmm. I guess I should say, maybe I should say <laughs> hi. Yeah. Hi, Harold Schechter, true crime maestro. Right, well, thank um, you. What do you, yeah. Lord? Yeah, <laughs> yeah Dark Lord. Yeah. Dark um, Lord. Maestro is good. Maestro, all right. Um, I'm sure everyone listening to this has heard of you slash read your work. You've written about all the big heavy hitters, right? Yeah. Um, uh, a lot yes. of them. Yeah, most of them. Running out of subjects. Yes, <laughs> which I guess is good for I the world, sort of. but bad <laughs> yeah. for you. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> yes, Harold Schechter is a true crime writer who has written a bookshelf's worth of books on serial killers, including pretty much every big name serial killer of the past two centuries. Some of his most famous books are Depraved, the shocking true story of America's first serial killer, which is about H.H. Holmes, my hometown boy. Um, He's also written Deranged, the shocking true story of America's most fiendish killer, which is about the grossest man to ever walk this earth, Albert Fish. And uh, Deviant, the shocking true story of the original Psycho, which is the story of Ed Gein, who was uh, one of the killers who inspired Psycho and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Silence of the Lambs. But uh, Harold Schechter doesn't just cover male serial killers. He is more than willing to delve into the dark history of female serial killers, like in his book Fatal, The Poisonous Life of a Female Serial Killer, which is the story of 19th century murderess Jane Toppin. The infamous person I mentioned on today's podcast, that's uh, Belle Guinness, one of the most brutal female serial killers on record, who also happens to be the subject of Schechter's new book, which just came out in April, Hell's Princess, The Mystery of Belle Guinness, Butcher of Men. Harold Schechter and I met up in a semi-quiet room in the New York Public Library a few weeks ago to chat about female psychopaths, lust murderers, the history of our collective awareness of the idea of a serial killer, and of course, talk about Belle, a woman who did what few women before or after her have dared to do. She chopped up bodies. deal of influence on me uh, was a book by a feminist writer named Ann Jones called okay. Women Who Kill. Yes. Uh, okay. And I got to know Ann Jones a little, um, partly because, you know, we just had mutual friends, so we would run into each other every now and then at these parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, she had a particular, she had a particular take uh, on these 19th century female poisoners and so on and so forth. You know, very, you know, basically her, a large, her interpretation had a lot to do with the, unsurprisingly, the oppression of women, mm-hmm. you know, um, the way in which kind of knocking off your husband for insurance, you know, offered women, <laughs> you know, a way to economic freedom yes. and so on and so forth. You know, I felt that she was a little bit underplaying the psychopathological aspect Interesting, of it. yeah. Um, but it, she was 
making it purely practical? Well, yeah, not entirely, but that was her emphasis. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I started getting more interested in the subject. And also, uh, I was doing these kind of encyclopedic books, the A to Z encyclopedic yeah. serial, killer, serial killer files. Um, and, and at that time, you know, the line basically was that Alien Warnos was the first female yes. serial killer. Uh, but, you know, in my researches, I discovered, I mean, other people had known it before me, you know, that there were these very, very notorious female serial poisoners, for example, mm-hmm. you know, back in the 1800s, mm-hmm. uh, Lydia Sherman, mm-hmm. uh, Sarah Jane Robinson, you know, they would call them American Borgias. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they killed a lot of people. <laughs> uh, and, and again, they, they dispatched them with poison. Uh, so I became interested in the whole phenomenon of the female serial poisoner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what I came to realize was that what people would always call serial, you know, people would think of serial murderers as Ted Bundy or John Wayne Gacy. You know, they're all guys. Um, but that there were a lot of women serial killers. It's just they committed murder in a different way from the men. Yeah, they didn't jump out of the bushes. Well, it's not that they just didn't jump out of the bushes. You know, what I came to realize, you know, my my conception, like everybody else's, the first time we all heard the term serial killer, Mm -hmm. you know, was in relation to people like Bundy and Gacy Mm -hmm. and Dahmer um, and uh, the Green River Killer. Yeah. uh, Or, you know, Edmund Kemper. And these people were all what used to be called lust murderers. Mm-hmm. You know, they were sex killers. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that it was, you know, that it was this extreme form of sexual sadism. You know, they called them, or they, sometimes back in the 30s, they'd call them sex fiends. I mean, they'd always existed. Yeah. They just used to be called different things. Mm-hmm. You know, Albert Fish. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it, when I started researching people like Jane Toppin, Mm-hmm. who became the subject of my book, Fatal. You know, I realized that there were female psychopaths who also derived perverse sexual gratification yeah. from tormenting their victims. Yeah. It's just that they did it in a different way from men. Yeah. And that there was some correlation, you know, between male, you know, typical or average male sexual behavior, mm-hmm. you know, and female sexual behavior, you know, that is... In these it, crimes? Well, mean? just, yes, or, in the crimes. Yeah. That the crime is sort of... Mirrored? You know, that, yeah, mirrored. I see. You know, the, the male serial killer, again, it's very phallic, you know, you think of Jack the Ripper, yes. very phallic, aggressive, and yes. penetrative, yes. you know, very undiscriminating. Yeah. You know, these guys will just go and pick up strangers, mm-hmm. or, you know, but, but female serial murderers... Mm. There's a kind of, uh, I know some of this sounds kind of flippant, but, you know, they almost need to establish some kind of relationship with you before they'll kill you. That's funny, but I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, they don't usually kill strangers. They don't kill strangers. Which is what makes Eileen Wuornos kind of a rarity, right? I mean, that she was anomalous in that regard. Although, even with Eileen Wuornos, those weren't sex crimes, even though sex was involved. You know, those were... But they were strangers. Yes. Right, yeah. But I mean, in general, you know, these female serial cousins, there are quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll kill spouses and children and mm-hmm. siblings and mm-hmm. intimates. Yeah. Um, 
And of course, and again, they're not into, you know, Camille Pagli, the culture critic, says there's no female Jack the Ripper, which is true. But again, that doesn't mean there are no female serial killers. Yeah. just means they don't, you know, tend to, again, butcher. Don't take victim. out the kidney. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't do the sexual mutilation murder yes. thing. Um, but, you know, Jane Toppin uh, confessed that, Jane Toppin, first of all, murdered 31 people. Um, for many years, she was in the Guinness Book of World's Records as America's most prolific murderer before John Wayne Gacy. Wow. Um, and she confessed, first of all, the, you know, the other thing about female poisoners is, like many people, my conception of that crime was formed by the movie Arsenic and Lake. <laughs> yeah. So you tend to think of it as sort of this quaint, you know, sort of thing you give, you know, kind some person elderberry wine, yeah. you know, and, yes. you know, some old guy. Yes, quaint, but, you know, you realize that in certain kinds of ways, you know, Jack, the victims of Jack the Ripper suffered much less than the victims of some of these poisoners. You know, Jack the Ripper would slit the throats of his victims. Yeah. And it was all over, these, yeah, it was the, over pretty quickly. Yeah, and the atrocities were all post-mortem. Yeah. Whereas somebody like Jane Toppin would derive this incredibly sadistic pleasure from, you know, bringing her Ugh. victims close to death and then, you know, moderating the dosage <laughs> so that they would recover a little bit and then giving them more. And she just yeah. loved to see them suffer. And then also, when she finally decided that it was time for them to die, she would you know, administer a lethal dose and get into bed with them and embrace them and have an orgasm, you know, while they were suffering their death throes. The woman you've just recently written about mm -hmm. is very different than a female poisoner. Yes, I think well, she, yeah. well, yeah, to me she's... Mm -hmm. uh, kind of an anomaly, kind of like mm -hmm. Eileen is an anomaly because she's so physical. Yeah. Um, it's Belle Guinness. Yes. Am I saying her name right? I believe so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and she is the subject of your latest book, which is? Uh, my latest book is Hell's Princess, colon, The Mystery <laughs> of Belle Guinness, Butcher of Men. Guinness, okay. Yeah. Yes. So what drew you to Belle? Well, um, Belle was somebody that I've actually been wanting to write about for quite a while. Okay. Uh, but what drew me to her was precisely that um, she was an anomaly in that she did poison her victims. Um, oh, right. She, okay. But yes. then you know, she also would chop them up. Yes. Um, she would dismember them uh, before burying them. Uh, and that was obviously, you know, that's very, very unusual. Yes. If not unique as far as I know in terms of American female serial killers at any rate yeah. so there was some other aspect to it uh, that you know that made her a fascinating character I know we don't know a ton about Belle's childhood no. um, do we know anything weird about it you know so okay well no, you know, no frontal lobe injury <laughs> <laughs> no. you know there were stories uh, afterward that she was a, the daughter of a of a peasant in mm -hmm. Norway, you know, grew up under very hard scrabble circumstances. Um, you know, one common denominator among many people who end up being psycho killers, you mm -hmm. know, is a is a, a history of early humiliation and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. 
you know, there's some indication that, you know, Belle suffered some of that at the hands of her community, you know, because oh. of the family, you know, was such, you know, oh. such a, um, And then there were stories later on that the son of a wealthy land, landowner impregnated her when she was a teenager and mm-hmm. then beat her and she miscarried. But it's hard, you know, a lot of, you know, that had to me has a feel of an urban legend. Yeah. Uh, especially since that story didn't really emerge till after she became yeah. very notorious. I've noticed sometimes these stories emerge after to explain yeah. right. the, yeah. the horror. Exactly. Yeah. So, but we know she was poor. Yeah. And she clearly liked money. Yeah, well, As yes. a grown-up. <laughs> yes, she was very covetous. Yeah. Um, she... Uh, yeah, and well, she you know she uh, she came to America to mm-hmm. live with an older sister who had immigrated and lived in Chicago uh, some okay. years before, and uh, according to the testimony of the sister, you know, Belle was always what the sister said, money mad. Money mad. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I didn't know the sister testified. Uh, like, well, she didn't testify at the trial, but she that's what oh, she her told her reporters. Okay, the time. I see. Yeah. So the sister wasn't like pro Belle. Uh, no, they had a big falling out, in fact, <laughs> um, uh, over some issue, I believe, having to do with uh, Belle wanting to raise one of her sister's children. Oh. Yeah. Interesting yeah. and strange. Yeah. Um, apparently, yeah, apparently people sometimes did stuff like that. Back yeah. Then, because Belle did end up raising the child of a... Okay. You know, this friend. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's strange to us, maybe more yeah. normal back then. Well, I guess if you, I mean, back then, I guess if you had a lot of kids and couldn't afford to raise them yourself, yeah. you might just let an aunt. Let us yeah. yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Um, so Belle grew up and got married, and I actually have something to tell you about, I believe, her first marriage. Um, <laughs> I was in Providence like a week ago doing a reading, hmm. and a man came up to me and said, he was the great great nephew of Mads. Really? Soren, Sorensen? Sorensen. Sorensen. Wow. Wow. And he was like, You live in Chicago. Um, wow. Can you look into the police record? Because I guess, you know, he, he died, and I'll have you explain how he died, but uh, it was not, it was never. Never t- officially, yeah. Never officially a murder, right? No. But it was just very suspicious. Yeah, well, she was married to Mads, I forget, eight or nine years. Yeah. Um, you know, by all accounts, you know, he was a good provider and a good husband, and, and they had these kids, mm-hmm. um, although exactly whether Belle gave birth to them or not is another ambiguity. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, there was a particular day. Uh, Belle had urged him to take out a life insurance policy. I think it was for about $2,000, which, you know, considerably more in today's money. Right. Um, and then she persuaded him that he needed a larger insurance policy. Uh, and the old one was going to expire on this one day, and the new one was going to go into effect on the same day. So there was one day uh, in which both life insurance policies were in a effect. A single day. single day. And uh, uh, by an odd coincidence. Oh, tell <laughs> uh, me. <laughs> yeah. Matt's uh, returned from work, seemingly hale and hearty, mm-hmm. uh, and in very short order took to his bed um, with uh, a crushing headache and, and died uh, soon after that. And you know, the doctors came. You know, there was some suspicion that foul play was involved. Um, but 
you know, the doctors thought perhaps he had accidentally taken like the wrong medicine. You know, back in those days, one thing that I've learned in my research is, is how lucky we are to be living <laughs> now as yeah. opposed to like back in the old days when, you know, you'd get sick and they'd prescribe strychnine or oh, something. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or formaldehyde. Um, so anyway, there, there was a certain amount of suspicion, but, but the death was ruled you know, death by natural causes. Uh-huh. And then Bell used the money to purchase a very handsome farmstead mm-hmm. in the town of Laporte, Indiana. And she remarried um, yeah. this guy named um, Peter Gunnis. Okay. He survived for about nine months before uh-huh. dying under even more peculiar circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, he was supposedly had put his shoes to dry by the stove and then after dinner went to fetch his shoes and stooped down for them. We stood up, knocked against the stove and a meat grinder supposedly fell on his head. Oh, (laughs) sure. The old meat grinder (laughs) falling on the head. Yeah. Um, Again, a lot of suspicion in the community. Yeah. Um, So all they knew was that he had a crushed skull or something? Is that okay? Oh, jeez. And there was an inquest um, but again, you know, the death was ruled death by accident mm-hmm. in this case. So Bell and Heck, you know, got even more insurance money. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's often in these cases a real reluctance to accuse like a wife or a mother. Yes. It's just yes. taboo well, or, or something. A woman. A woman, you know, particularly yeah. back then, yes. I mean, you know, these Victorian right. prejudices. Held. I mean, even somebody like Bell Gunnis who confessed to 31 murders, they were very, very reluctant to send her to the gallows because she was a woman. You mean I mean, not Bell Gunnis, I mean Jane Talbot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and did she get executed? No, they they stuck her in a mental institute. Yeah, yeah. So I guess those Victorian mores helped if you were a serial killer. (laughs) (laughs) They were great. There's some good things to say about (laughs) Yeah. If you were a female serial killer. Excuse me, if you were a female serial killer. And this is, sorry, I don't think we ever said the date. Is this turn of the century? For Bell? Yes, Um, for Bell. Well, yes, her crimes were discovered in 1908. So Peter dies. Right. And Bell starts, is this when she starts dating around? Well, if you want to call it that, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yes, uh, she starts placing matrimonial ads okay. in Scandinavian language newspapers oh. throughout the Midwest. Okay. Uh, and the ads basically say, um, and this is definitely not truth in advertising, <laughs> comely widow. Um, for some reason, there are readers on Amazon who mm-hmm. have accused me of being a misogynist because I describe how at various points as unattractive. Oh, no. <laughs> However, oh, but she was famously unattractive, right? Yeah, she was right? pretty unattractive. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so, she, you know, that she put these ads in, you know, saying she was a widow, looking for a man to come and be her partner on this farm with possibly the ends of, you know, the end of, with matrimony at the end of it. And they would, you know, some investment would be required to invest in oh. the farm. So, you know, she apparently was inundated, uh, apparently with letters from lonely Norwegian oh. bachelors and widowers. Uh, and she would, you know, go through them very carefully and select the most likely candidates, you know, mm-hmm. based on their, I guess, financial solvency. Mm-hmm. Also, um, it was, 
you know, a, a, an advantage from her point of view if they didn't have any relatives. Oh, yeah, you know, the lonelier the better. It would be like, you know, asking any questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then she would lure these guys to her farm, and as soon as they turned over their money to her, she would kill them, apparently wow. by poisoning them. Okay. And then maybe, you know, she would feed them. She would always promise them these nice down-home Norwegian meals. Mm. A lot of them were very homesick from the old yeah. country. Oh. Um, so she would feed them a nice down-home Norwegian meal that was spiked with rat poison. Uh, and then when they took to their beds, she would finish them off with a blow to the head. Wow. And then drag them down to her cellar and uh, chop, you know, carve them up like farm animals and then bury them in her, in her hog lot. Wow. So. And did she have, like, butcher equipment from yes, her hogs? Yes, yeah. okay. And, you know, it was something That's she had horrifying. done since she was a child, butchery animals. So yeah. She was quite adept at it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and again, there, you know, that's like, uh, again, going back to Ann Jones, you know, yes, I mean, money was, ob there was obviously a mercenary component right. to it. Um, but it was also clear, first of all, she didn't need that much money. Mm -hmm. um, but also, she obviously really liked butchering these guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was completely unnecessary in yeah. any way. Yeah. So. So she's kind of got this operation going, yeah, and it's working out for her, yeah. right? Yes. I mean, <laughs> yes, working out for her. And then she, then she begins um, to correspond. One of the people who answered her ads was this uh, former named Andrew Helgelian, mm -hmm. um, and uh, who had you know a nice spread in. Now I can't remember if it's North Dakota or South Dakota, but some Dakota. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, she and he struck up, um, you know, this very, very uh, intense correspondence okay. that ended up going on for a year and a half. She wrote about 80 letters to him wow. in the course of that. And, and, you know, they're very, very revealing and very, very chilling. You know, because you see, you know, just how diabolical she was. What were the tricks that she used? Well, again, it was, they became increasingly impassioned in a way. Oh, okay. um, you know, but it was, oh, my dear Andrew, you've worked so hard. Now you can just come here and relax and I'll take care of you. And sleep the eternal sleep. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny you say that because suppose, you know, very famously there was a letter she wrote to him that ended, come prepared to stay forever. Oh. But turned out that letter was a forgery oh. by a journalist Oh, oh um, to... when they were covering the case. Wow. Yeah. But, but she did, you know, but they were all, you know, um, again, all the wonderful Norwegian delicacies she mm. would cook for him. Yeah. And, you know, there's a certain amount of sexual innuendo. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, I, you know, and, I, and again, they became increasingly intense. I can't wait, you know, I've been waiting so long for you to come, and, you know, I can't wait for you to arrive, and as soon as you step off the train, I will embrace you, my dear Andrew. And he did come. Uh, like the next day, they went to the bank <laughs> so he could transfer all his money. And, uh, you know, the minute they withdrew, like the day he withdrew all this money, she killed him. Wow. So she um, just had no interest in a relationship or any. I mean, no. She wasn't Although she like did have apparently them. she had a, she had sexual relationships with a string of these handymen who worked for her. Okay. Um, but not with some, her victim. Yeah, no. Probably. Well, I guess we don't know. Yeah, we don't. It's possible. She might have, yeah. You know, but I mean, they didn't last very long. Yeah. She didn't have anything we would call. She might have had sex with them. She didn't have anything that we would call a relationship with yes. just weren't really around long enough. Yes, yeah. yes. So, um, yeah, so, so Helgelian was gone. Uh, another character who figures very prominently in her story and in my book was this handyman mm-hmm. of hers called Ray Lamphere, okay. who had been living uh, in her house um, and, and, and did have a sexual relationship with her okay. uh, and sort of assumed he was going to marry her. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Helgelian showed up, she consigned him to the barn and the told handyman. him. She just, you know. Yeah. And, and he immediately obviously was very resentful yeah. about being supplanted by Helgelian. And then when Helgelian disappeared, something happened between mm-hmm. They had this incredible rift. Okay. Bell and, and Ray. Okay. And she kicked him off the property, mm-hmm. and she had him arrested a few times for trespassing, and she tried to get him declared insane. What, what seems to have happened, there is evidence mm-hmm. that uh, on the night she killed Helgelian, she sent Lamphere off on this errand, this wild goose chase to get him away. Yeah. But he came back early, oh. and there's some, you know, some... It seems to be the case that he might have, he was, that he was aware that she had murdered Helgelian and was possibly blackmailing her mm, or anything yeah. And she tried to get rid of Lamphere, not by killing him, she couldn't anymore, he was gone, mm. you know, but by having him committed as insane, so so. Anyway, Helgelian's brother, um, whose name, and I might be mispronouncing this because I don't really know uh, Norwegian, but it was spelled A-S-L-E, Asli, mm-hmm. um, came across the letters oh. that Bell had written. So he knew that his brother had gone to visit Bell, mm-hmm. and he began to, he started corresponding with Bell and asking what happened to his brother. Oh. And she had all these excuses, you know, that mm-hmm. he just left one day, he'd gone to Chicago, he'd gone here, he'd gone there. She wished she knew where he was, she had no idea where he was. But Asley, you know, is becoming increasingly suspicious. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Ray Lamphere, you know, was becoming more aggressive somehow. Mm-hmm. So, one day, uh, 1908, I forget the exact day, Belle goes into town, visits her lawyer, makes her will, tells her lawyer that she's afraid uh, that Ray Lamphere is going to murder her. Mm-hmm. And, and that he's going to burn down her house. Okay. Um, she comes back that night, has dinner with her kids and with the new handyman, a guy named Maxon. They all go to sleep. Maxon wakes up in the middle of the night. The house is on fire. Wow. 
he escapes, you know, he tries, he knocks on Bell's door, knocks on Joel's door, there's nothing. He escapes, house completely burns. The only thing that's left is the cellar, the foundation of the cellar. Okay. Uh, and when the embers cool off enough, the searchers find in the cellar uh, the body of this woman clutching the charred remains of the three children. Oh. Yeah. The one thing was, the woman's body was headless. <laughs> Ew. Yeah. That's but, you suspicious. know, the first thought was, well, maybe, you know, it disintegrated in the fire. Yeah. Anyway, somebody, Asley, again, who had been, you know, in touch with Bell, mm-hmm. um, heard about this fire. So he, he came to Laporte. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, asked the handyman, Maxon, if there are any places like on the property that seem to have been dug up, yeah. you know, recently. And he said, and Maxon said, yeah, in fact, there were these places where supposedly Belle like buried her garbage. Yeah. Um, and they began to dig up one, and the first thing they dug up was, and you know, the remains of Andrew Pelgolai. Wow. And, and the brother st- was there. And the brother was there. Oh. And then they started digging, and they dug up more and more. They ended up digging up about 12 of these graves. Oh, my gosh. And some of them had more than, the, the remains of more than a victim in them. Mm-hmm. And they're all chopped up, right? Yeah, they're these all are chopped not full up. bodies. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. In, you know, in a state of extreme decomposition. Right, right. So it immediately became clear, you know, this becomes a nationwide, even really an international sensation. Yeah. You know, that there was this woman running, you know, operating this murder farm. Yeah. You know, luring these guys there and killing them and butchering them and burying them. Yeah. Um, and, and given the fiendish nature of her crimes and her character, uh, it, it immediately occurred to many, many people that the woman's body in the cellar wasn't that of Belle. And there was no way to prove whether it was Bell or not. The torso was like much smaller than than Bell would have Belle. been. Although, yeah, you know. But again, you know, like if you put a roast beef in the oven and cook yeah. it at six hundred degrees, <laughs> you know, for an hour it's going to shrink. Away. But you know, the the absence of the head mm-hmm. made a lot of people think, um, you know, that she'd staged the whole thing. That she had yeah. lured some woman there and left her there. So. Um, Anyway, yeah, so, the, so immediately it becomes this huge sensation. Uh, the Sunday after the dis- Helga line and a few of these other bodies were dug up, uh, like 20,000 people descended on the forum. Oh, my gosh. They had excursion trains from Chicago. <laughs> really? Yeah, there were people, you know, they just had ice cream stands and lemonade stands, and people were going around selling postcards and uh, they, they put the remains in this carriage shed, this little outbuilding, this mm-hmm. is temporary morgue. There were people, men, women, children, you know, lined up and they would pay like a nickel each to what it's like going to Go Pirates of the morgue. Caribbean or something, wow. you know, to file past, you know, these reeking remains. Oh yeah, because this is in the, is yeah. this in the summer? Yeah. I'm picturing like a hot muggy, fl- yeah. What is wrong with people? <laughs> but I guess they didn't have Netflix. Yeah, or podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's so, really shocking. Yeah. Were they doing the thing like where they were taking bits of her house? Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. yeah totally. And there were there were kids, you know, enterprising youngsters going around selling 
you know, pieces of bone, which they claim they they weren't. They were like pigs and stuff. So then how did this all uh, turn out legally? Because Bell was probably definitely gone, right? Yeah, well, um, Ray Lanthier was quickly the handyman, was arrested uh, and put on trial for having set the house on fire. Um, the idea he, that Bell had already planted? Well, right? again, you, you know, there are several possibilities. One was that Bell had set this thing up mm-hmm. and set the house on fire. And there was some evidence of that because the last day of her life when she went into town, she also bought a big can of kerosene, which uh-huh. was seen in her house. Okay. Uh, on the other hand, it was known around town that there was this antipathy you know, between Bell and, and Ray. And Ray, in fact, was suspiciously close to the house when it burst into oh, flame. Okay. Uh, anyway, he was uh, put on trial for arson and murder. And uh, he was convicted of arson but acquitted of murder, which in a way didn't make a lot of sense. Um, acquitted but, of murder but convicted. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't. <laughs> you know, his. his, uh, his, his uh, Attorney basically was arguing that that Bell was still alive. Okay. Um, there was another kind of interesting uh, element to it, which was they knew from the local dentist that Bell had recently had some bridge work done, mm-hmm. and that he had in, installed uh, these gold uh, and ceramic false teeth. Uh-huh. So they thought, well, maybe. If they find the teeth mm-hmm. in the ruins, you know, that would indicate that it was Bell. Yeah. So they hired some prospector who was known as like Old Klondike or something, oh um, who, who set up a, a sluice on okay. the property yeah. and spent a week sluicing the ashes and ultimately wow. found, apparently found this bridge work. Although I say okay. apparently because there were some people who testified that they saw him pull this out of his oh. shirt and drop them. Oh, because he's like yeah. so sick of sleuthing. But, but even that again wasn't definitive because yeah. it was like, well, you know, maybe she just pulled this yeah. thing out and left it there. Yeah. Right? So um, anyway, Ray was convicted of arson. He was imprisoned. He died like a year later of tuberculosis, oh. still proclaiming his innocence. In 1930-something, there was a woman named Esther Carlson out in Los Angeles who poisoned a couple of guys, mm-hmm. and people were convinced that it was Belganis. Oh. And then there were a the couple of anthropologists who dug up the uh, exhumed, got permission to exhume the remains that were supposedly Bells that mm-hmm. were buried in Chicago oh. um, next to Mad Sorensen's. Oh, I didn't know um, there. And they ran DNA tests on this, but but the results came back very inconclusive. I 
I think we did it. Good. We covered Val Guinness in the yeah. perfect amount of time. Excellent. Well, thank yeah. you. Thank you so much yeah, for telling my story. Yeah. yeah. And I will, um, should listeners follow you on your Facebook page, perhaps? What um, would be the best? I don't really have okay. a Facebook page. I mean, I do, but I don't, some... I don't, somebody keeps it for okay, me okay. and I never really look at it. Okay. Um, but, um, but I do have a website, yes. which I also never go on. Okay. Um, <laughs> And uh, but my books are available on Amazon. Okay. The actually the Belgunis book. One really nice thing is, um, it was uh, they did it in this new Kindle in Motion oh. form. The Kindle in Motion is illustrated, and uh, a number of the illustrations move. They're Whoa. like animated. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Wow. So you know that's a that's a really nice way to read it. Okay. Like, you know if you have like a tablet or a Kindle Fire yeah. or something. That's amazing. Like yeah. a little movie. Yeah. Awesome. Well, great. Yeah. Thanks again. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening. As always, you can find any and all of Harold Schechter's books on Amazon. Um, as far as my stuff, uh, if you like this sort of hashtag content, please leave a podcast review on iTunes. It would be so awesome, and it really does help people find this podcast. Check out Criminal Broads on Instagram, because I'm going to be having a pretty cool true crime-themed giveaway for you all sometime in the near future. And email criminalbroads at gmail.com if you need to chat. And our music today is from the band Spheria, so they would love a listen. Go to their SoundCloud page. It's in the show notes. All right, I'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.